The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I am your host, JP John Paz. With me today is a former six-time TNA Knockouts champion, a former TNA Knockouts tag team champion, and of course, a former Women of Honor world champion, <laughs> Angelina Love. Welcome to the two-man power trip. How are you doing? Oh, good. Thank you for having me. How are you? I am doing good. You are keeping very busy, fellow Russo brand alumni. Uh, you are definitely keeping busy with the new podcast. How's that going? Oh, it's great. You know, like when once Velvet and I started it, we were like, why didn't we do this like such a long time ago? We've literally been on the road and in each other's lives for like 14 years at this point, you know, so we're like, why didn't we always talk? We have so much stuff to talk about. But, you know, just everything being good timing and Vince hitting us up and, you know, it was just uh so yeah, the beautiful podcast, we film it every Monday and then it airs, it gets dropped every Sunday. So we film Monday the week in advance and it's really fun. It's, it's doing, as far as we know, it's doing really well so far. So Vince talked you into it. Yeah, he brought it up to us. He wanted to have us on the brand. So like I said, like we had never thought of having our own podcast and then he just presented us with this opportunity and we were like, oh heck yeah, we love Vince. So it was, it was an easy yes. Great, uh, great idea by him. I'm actually surprised, like you said, like it didn't come out sooner because you guys are naturals, you know, great stories. You guys got great stuff to tell. Yeah, we're, but we're not tech savvy. So at the thought of like having to produce things or do a lot of editing and all that kind of stuff, like we are like, oh no, like computers and stuff, like no. <laughs> so so when Vince kind of told us like, yo, we have people that just, just literally record it and everything else will be done, thumbnails will be figured out, teasers will be done. We were like, oh, sold. <laughs> That's easy, record and... and let him and, and the Hameen Media Group and everybody else do their thing. You just do your thing and they'll do all the heavy lifting. There would literally not be a product if we had to edit it and produce anything by ourselves. <laughs> With the podcast, like when you kind of first thought it up, what was like the idea? You're just literally going to say whatever? Did you want to have a structure to it or what was the thought process? I mean, Velvet and I can just talk and probably have years of content just shooting the shit and 
you know, like we have so many stories and we, we have so many similar views on things in wrestling and outside of wrestling, you know, world stuff. Um, so yeah, it's just when we, when we were thinking of a name of the podcast, you know, us being the beautiful people, TBP, I was like, Oh my God, it has to be the beautiful podcast. Like I just thought, I, th I thought that I came up with like the greatest idea in the world and I texted velvet and, um, she had said that she had thought of that too, but she was like, maybe kind of thinking about something else. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, I'm not trying to like take the reins here, but like, it has to be the beautiful podcast. We are the beautiful people, TBP. We can be the TBP on the TBP. Like, this is like the greatest thing ever. And she was like in love with it too. And she's like, yep, yeah, it has to be that. And I was like, whoo. So we felt pretty creative about that. When you go all the way back, like you said, 13 or 14 years ago, knowing Velvet, how did you guys get together? Is that Russo like scripting and saying like, oh, you guys would be good together? Or did something else come about with the Dutch or how did you guys get together? No, it was our idea. We went to Vince with it. And then okay. we all and then we all kind of created it together. So we had no when I was in WWE developmental back in like, oh, when would this have been? 2006, maybe Velvet came in for a week tryout. Um, so like I had kind of I we had done like a couple like Philly kind of based indies probably back in like 03, 04. Um, and then when I was in WWE, she had come in for a week tryout. And then um, I think her and I were like the, one of the, like the first two that were contacted for the knockouts division when TNA was looking for like that giant new group of girls to come in. I think it was Kong and then the two of us. Um, so, but, and so we, so we kind of knew each other a little bit from there. And like, I had already known ODB and stuff like that too, Tracy Gale, um, but we just, we were roomed together. Um, so we were like staying in hotels together and that, you know, we're just talking and getting to know each other. We just have so much in common. Our personalities are so alike, um, that we were just like, okay, here's, here's this new women's division. Like, how do we stand out on our own? Everybody is being their own singular character. Why don't we be a team? We'll do something different. We'll be our own little group or something. So that was kind of the thing that we wanted to do to set us apart from everybody else, being that there were so many new females introduced at the same time. When you like first meet her, I guess it would be Deep South or OVW? No, I was. A, I only had my week long tryout at OVW. I went to Deep South. I chose to go to Deep South because for me, if I if I had have gone straight to OVW, my thought process was it was saturated. Like there were so many people there. I didn't want to be like new and then just like thrown into a giant group of people and possibly lost in the shuffle. So that's why I chose to go to Deep South because everybody was going to be new. The facility was new. Trainers were new. The talent was new. So that was kind of my thought process. Um, but no, her and I did a couple of like WEW shows together in Philly in like 0304. So that's when we would have like initially met, but it wasn't like, you know, those were some long ass days. So we didn't really get a chance to like talk and hang out or anything. But then when she came into Deep South for her tryout, you know, like we know Chrissy Vane too. So like we were kind of hanging out and talking, whatever. And then once we both went to TNA and we were both new there, then it was just like, you know, we just kind of connected with uh deep south who was down like who was the trainer down there was that uh dr tom down there no it was bill demott oh okay you it was like bill demott and then we had uh dave taylor helping out there too and then lots of guest people coming in and stuff did you enjoy it down deep south because i heard some horror stories about deep south i was the only female from oh, the wow. day that no from the day the doors opened until the day the doors shut so for the first six months it was just me and 16 guys 
So that's kind of where I learned my, um, got to keep up with the guys, got to try to do better than the guys kind of attitude and mentality. And then, you know, some girls kind of started trickling. And so it was just me and 16 guys for the first six months of that whole developmental system starting. Um, uh, it's, it's weird because it feels like 20 years ago, but it also feels just like yesterday. Um, it was very traumatic for a lot of people. It was, I can guarantee you it was not what anybody thought it would be or, or what, our dreams and aspirations uh, of, you know, being in WWE or getting to WWE were, was what we thought it would be. Um, So I, so for all of us that made it out, that's literally what I say. We made it out. Was it tough though, being the only girl? I mean, that's kind of scary in certain aspects. Uh, You know, the guys were awesome. I made some lifelong friends there, like guys I'm still friends with to this day. There was five guys who I was super close with and kind of like took me under their wing and like kind of protected me and made sure like knowing me being the only female there. Plus my apartment got broken into when I wasn't there, probably within, oh, I don't know, six to eight weeks of being down there in Georgia. We were all actually at Bill DeMott's house watching. I believe it was the, the WWE's, ECW pay-per-view, you know, where like edge was on there and like, do you know what I mean? Do you remember that one? It was, I think it was, that was the second one night stand. I think it was, I don't know, but I mean, we had only been there for like not even two months. And when we were all at Bill's house, which was like a half an hour away from like where all of our apartments were, somebody had broken to mine and I had two cats there when I had one cat. I just had one cat at the time. Um, but we didn't have shit, you know, when we first got down there. So it's, I mean, they didn't do anything, but so then I had, so then I ended up staying with Bill and his wife for a week while I moved out of that area and into like a little better area with better apartments and stuff like that. So it was pretty crazy. How was Bill? I mean, you hear some uh, good stories about Bill and then you hear some people complaining. He's too tough. He's got that old school, you know, uh, general or whatever the, the corporal mentality of hard nosed training. That's true. (laughs) But I mean, like I, he was fine towards me, um, but it was just it was just a weird it was just a weird experience and environment as a whole. There was a there was really good times and there was really bad times. There was tons of uncertain times. Um, plus, I tore my ACL when I was down there, so for like nine months I was on the shelf, and you don't know uh, any day if you're going to get fired or not, right. you know. And all my all my family's in Canada, and I'm down in Georgia with a bum knee, just trying to make it. So. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Were you there when Johnny Ace showed up and literally tore the place down? And I was literally, I was literally there from the very first day until that day when he came in and the doors were shut. And we were told if we returned to that building anytime after that day, we would be fired. Wow, that's crazy. I was just talking to. Uh, so we're CJ. all early. We're all early twenties, right? And we're just like, oh my god, <laughs> like, and stuff was happening behind the scene, like not a lot of us knew about and stuff. So it was just that. I just feel like the whole thing was a mess. That like, there's a reason why it shut down. <laughs> I was just talking to T.J. Wilson about that, and he was saying like he was covered in like dirt, and he because he didn't know why he was there, and all of a sudden Johnny Ace is like, clean it up. We're taking this place, you know, apart. We were we were just having a training day, like a regular training day. And yeah, just like Johnny Ace just walked in the door and, you know, whenever he comes around, all of us developmental kids are like, <gasps> you know what I mean? And then he was just like, everybody go sit on the bleachers. And we went and sat on the bleachers and we were just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. 
And there had been a bunch of stuff that some guys knew about. I had no clue about what was happening. Um, and I just always preferred to like not know. Uh, but he, yeah, he was basically like, listen, we're sh training is done. We're shutting this place down. Go home, go grab a workout, grab a shower, grab some food, whatever you want to do. I want everybody back here in two hours. We are clearing out this building. And once we're done, if anybody else, if I find out that anybody else steps foot in this building, once we shut the doors, you will be fired. So we were all just like, uh, okay. Um, and then what? <laughs> Uh, and like, we didn't know about like, uh, the Tampa facility opening or anything. So everybody who was ready to go to TV and I was one of them went to OVW cause it was just like, go to OVW and then go to TV. And then everybody else who was just in developmental went down and started FCW in Tampa. So you basically, did you stay for OVW long or is that when you went over to TV? I was there for a week and then I got released. Any reason? Oh, creative had nothing for me, even though I was supposed to go to TV four days after they released me. Did they give you a plan of what you were going to do on TV at least or no? Yeah. So that's when they still had ECW. So they had, um, I feel like Michelle, Michelle McCool was managing Aaron Stevens and I can't remember it. KC James. Was it KC James? Okay. And then. Ashley Massaro was managing Brian Kendrick and Paul London, I think at the time. And then they were going to, Mike Knox was already in ECW. They were going to bring in his indie tag partner who was in developmental Derek Nykirk and then have them be a tag team. And I was going to manage that. And then there was going to be this thing with like the guys and the girls, and it was going to be a thing on, on ECW. So I got released on a Thursday, but I was told that I was going to TV the following Tuesday to debut that character. So when they called me and said, creative has nothing for you. I was like, bullshit. I'm supposed to go to TV in four days. What are you talking about? Who makes that call? Johnny Ace? No, Johnny. No, he always passes the buck on that. It's the, uh, the head of talent relations. So I got hired by Tommy Dreamer because he was talent relations at the time. But then it was Mike Bucci when I oh, got okay. released. So Johnny Ace doesn't make those calls. Okay. Interesting. He only tears down. I mean, I mean, I don't know if he does now, but at the time, no, it was always like the head of talent relations. They basically tell, they basically get the head of talent relations to do their dirty work for them. They make those decisions and then they just pass the, the heat on to somebody else to do the, the hard part. Right. They don't want to have to deal with that. So when you go to TNA, obviously that's where you, you meet Velvet. It's funny, years before that, I remember you from the embassy with uh, Prince Nana and ROH for, for a brief period. I always think like, very brief. They're like very brief, but it was like funny, like the way they were using you, like he was like kind of like your step stool. And then he was trying to boss you around. I was, stuff. I was his step stool. Yeah. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? It worked for the time. I mean, like that could never fly in like today's society or in today's wrestling world and like whatever. But at the time it totally worked. It was funny. It was like, whatever. I didn't care. I wasn't offended by it. Um, but yeah, so that was right before I got hired by WWE to go to developmental. So I had done a few ring of honor shows in like mid to late 2004. And then I was supposed to do like their boxing day show boxing days, the day after Christmas in Canada. So they had a show December 26, 2004, but then I got called probably December 20th or something, 2004 and dreamer told me. So then I had to go back to Canada to get my visa. And then I had to call Gabe at the time and let him know I couldn't do that after Christmas show. Cause I just got hired and he was totally cool. He's like, congratulations. That's great. Like no problem at all. And yeah, that was it. 
you missed a good show. Uh, it was the final battle that 2004. You missed a good one. But uh, anyway, um, as far as well, I've, I've made I've made it back. I've circled back. Eden. Yes, uh, I was going to say, you but know, 15 but years later, I circled back, and uh, I've done a final battle now. So. <laughs> but I digress because it's been years later and you did make a final battle appearance. So yeah. You made up for it. But just going back to TNA and getting in there with Velvet, that was the time period where you, like, you kind of didn't really hear too much about women's wrestling as far as WB was doing you know, a lot of the brawn panty stuff and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was, it was a very brawn panty as women were the pee break matches at that time. Yeah. Except according to Dutch, Dutch Mantel, he, he kind of takes credit. I don't know if he should or Russo should, but he was saying, let's get Gail Kim. Let's get Awesome Kong. Let's get all these women together. They could do so much more. What was it like backstage? Is, is Dutch correct or is he taking too much credit? Well, I mean, any, a lot of people can take credit because it was a huge team effort. You know what I mean? Like um, Jeff Jarrett, you know, it was like a sink or swim idea i don't even really know if if he was like yes we have to have a females division but it was just it was wanted and i feel like the way that everything kind of played out with starting it and all of us originals like it couldn't have been any better what do you think about the name knockouts i thought it was cool we didn't you know didn't need to be girly or anything and they made us like these really cute shirts me and velvet wore them for some of our matches like they were black female t-shirts and it said TNA knockouts and had like the little lips on the bottom and stuff like that. We were obsessed with those shirts. I liked it because it was so much different than when they were saying divas. Like it just had a whole different divas, divas is so girly, right? But yeah. knockout, knockout is like tough sexy. You know, so it's like it's got kind of everything taken care of with that word. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like at that time you guys really kind of took it to another level where it's like, okay, we're going to be completely different. Like you still have sex appeal and stuff, but we're going to be completely different from what they're doing. We're actually going to focus in, uh, and it would actually work because ratings were going up. Yeah, we were like the knockouts consistently. We're getting the highest rated segments on the show. And this is a show with Kurt Angle, Christian, Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, beer money. You know what I mean? Like, so for us, that was like, and I think obviously for like TNA and, and our superiors in the office, they were like, we got to run with this. Like, this is working. This is what people want to see, which is why Vince was so good at making sure the girls were littered all over the show. Like, I mean, we had like, he had no problem figuring out ways to be able to put 10 to 14 girls on a show when some people later on could barely figure out a way to put two girls on a show. <laughs> You know, so, um, but it was just like, that was the best time. And I just wish that anybody that's been in TNA since then could have experienced 2007 to 2009. Cause that was the best. Is somebody like checking quarter hour ratings? Cause at that point I remember reading all over the sheets of, Oh, check the quarter hour ratings. The yes. knockouts did it well, again. And that's the thing we were seeing them on the dirt sheets too. They were literally showing like, I remember velvet and I, we were in the shuttle waiting to leave the building one night when we had done a live show and like the ratings were already on the dirt sheets and us specifically, the beautiful people had gotten the highest rated. Our segment just with us had got the highest out of the whole entire show. And we were just like, what is life right now? This is crazy. But yeah. So like they, like they were constantly checking ratings cause we we're on spike TV where we're being some pretty good competition, you know? So like, so we had just, uh, this was probably like a couple months ago, some kid on Twitter and a, a lot of us jumped on it cause it kind of got thrown to us was like, 
responding to something saying like, oh, the knockouts never got ratings. So we were, everybody was like the knockout. What are you talking about, dude? Like we were there. We literally saw the numbers with our own eyes. Like it's so amazing. People who have, who are not backstage, who are not there, who think they know everything and just can just go on social media and be like, nah, the girls never did shit. It's like, dude, <laughs> what are you, what are you talking? Where do you even come up with that? It's crazy. Feel like some of those people on twitter do not look at actual information you know what i mean they'll just make it up in their head like that sounds good well you know but what it's, also, it's it also people who probably have only got into wrestling in the last five to seven years didn't even watch the knockouts at the time weren't even watching tna at its peak when we were on spike tv and the ultimate fighter was on after us you know so yeah quite a lead-in yeah I feel like a lot of the fans today are completely clueless. I mean, this might be no offense to some of the fan base, but some of the fan base out there just doesn't, I don't know if I'll follow the business. I don't know why they watch. It's, it's, it's a strange, weird. Well, fan base. like when I, when I try to give people the benefit of the doubt, because it's like, maybe they were seven years old in 2007. You know what I mean? And now, and like, for like, for me, when I first started rushing it, watching wrestling, it was like WWF everything. Same with Velvet. It was like WWF everything. So I feel like maybe even for these kids too, growing up today who are like super WWE obsessed, maybe that's all they really know. Even though there's other things like we still had WCW to watch too. And I was like, man, I did start watching it, but that's because I just wanted more wrestling. Um, but WWF was still like my number one, you know? So, but it's TNA's not TNA now is not what it was back then either. So maybe they're thinking current day knockouts or sort of something, you know, something to that. Effect. Yeah, maybe, maybe, but I think they just don't know. Like if they were, you know, in graduating grade school or graduating high school, they probably would have no knowledge or recollection of any of the ratings or how well we did at that time. But I mean, but there somebody, a, a decently well-known Twitter account, this was probably a year ago, did a, a poll about like, you know, what, what do you think really started the women's revolution? Was it the page, um, to, uh, to Neil Dashwood, Emma match or whatever in NXT, that really great match they had, or was it like the knockouts and the knockouts got voted as like, that's what started the women's revolution. It's not a knock on the other girls by any means, but it's like, it, that was a little validating for us, you know? Like, oh, people do know. People do get it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. To me, the NXT thing is like years later. Really, if you think about it, I mean, it's like it's definitely down oh, the line. You eight, guys. Nine years later, like long time later. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny that the fans kind of don't, I don't know, maybe you're just, maybe they're too young to, to remember, or maybe too dumb to look it up. But really, 07 to 09. When you get millions, and and now they they which is funny looking at it now, it's like they would kill for two million viewers even now. Oh, sure. Raw, Raw, I think uh, the other day did one point four million. I was like, whoa, the lowest ever of all time. So I mean, they would kill for the numbers the knockouts were getting at that period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When that's happening, what is like the the thing? Like, oh, we got to get you guys on TV more. You guys got to do more. Like, what's the the sense from Jared and Russo and the guys? I mean. We were just, we were riding high. Like we were having a blast. Like what we were doing was working. So, and the great thing about work, like, like I know, like we obviously you know Velvet and I will never say a bad word about Vince. We love him. Everybody has their own experience with everybody, right? So just because I don't like somebody doesn't mean everybody else has to dislike that person. Or just because I like somebody doesn't mean everybody else has to like that person. Everybody has their own judgments and their own uh, choices of, you know, who they like and who they don't. We had such a great experience with Vince because he was so open to like listening to us and like 
like co collaborating, I was going to say coordinating, collaborating with us about like um, our backstage segments or what we were going to wear or like when we did the whole thing with Daphne as the governor and we weren't wearing makeup, we were literally wearing like Walmart curtains and stuff like that as clothing. Like he was so just like, yeah, like come talk to me, like run ideas by me, like let's jam. He always gave us the ball and let us run with it. And I think when you don't have such a leash on your talent, and you kind of keep it open so that they can kind of give their own creative and we can be free spirit creative artists, which is what we are. When we're working with a writer who lets us have that freedom, um, that works the best, you know, like because then we can be ourselves and that comes across as the most authentic. Uh, and I, I think Vince had Vince definitely had that relationship with with Velvet Nine a lot of the knockouts, but definitely a lot of the guys, too. And I think that makes a successful product, not when you're trying to like micromanage and control everybody and holding people back because it's not your vision. And then it comes across like they're trying too hard or acting and then fans are all over that and then they don't buy into the character. And then it's, just, you know what I mean? It's just like a snowball. It just kind of snowballs into disaster. <laughs> One thing I noticed with Russo, there's no... A middle ground either you love them or you hate them for whatever reason you know steve austin loved them the rock loved them foley goldust but then there's this group of people later on that just the samoa joe's of the world just didn't get along with him for whatever reason didn't like him so i feel like but you know no what like not everybody not everybody likes everybody not everybody in the world can date each other i don't love every like i don't vibe with every makeup artist but i have my two that i love do you know what i mean it's the same thing and you know like somebody like samoa joe takes his craft so seriously if he butt heads with somebody who's writing stuff for him, I mean, it's not going to be a good relationship. Like that's pretty cut and dry, you know? Yep. But it's interesting with Russo. Like I always like kind of laugh because like, well, the, the rock likes him. He kind of did a little bit of something in the business, you know, kind of sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Like Steve Austin. Remember that guy? Yeah. He kind of liked it. And Foley and, and him and Goldust, they would say and they the rock and the rock. What was it? The, this is your life segment or whatever. Like, Oh my gosh. Gold. One of the highest rated segments uh, of all time. Ever? Yeah. I believe another one of uh, Vince's segments was Undertaker Austin, which was a match, but that was one of the highest rated ever too. But in yeah. in the Russo attitude era of yeah. writing. I and you know what? Like, I just, I don't know. I just, I just adore Vince, period, as a person too. You know what I mean? Every time he saw me, he'd be like, Angelo! <laughs> he always called me Angelo. I'd be like, sup, Vince? Like, it was like seeing your uncle, your cool uncle all the time, you know? Like, that's the kind of relationship we had with him. I just didn't like him winning the WCW championship. That's all. But he knows. He knows that. Well, <laughs> that was before my time. <laughs> yeah. Well, with Russo and and velvet and, and like putting things together when you guys do like the backstage skits and you guys are kind of being like the mean girls stuff is that you saying like let's do this or it's him kind of saying let's go in this direction or you is a total collaboration 100 percent? i mean he is just like be you guys you guys know how to be you guys so at that at that time there was a very short list of the roster that we're getting like the scripts um like what we were going to be doing at tv like a couple of days beforehand, which was great because I always knew exactly what to pack. So I never had some, you know, I didn't ever have to pack half my closet just to go to TV because I never knew what I was doing. So, but we would get like, um, if we were doing like our bad stage segments and our thrones with like Kip or whatever, you know, and Lauren, who was the interviewer, um, we could kind of like, that would all be written out. 
but we would change a lot of it. And Vince, what like Tal and I were like one take wonders. So like we could get backstage segments done so easily because her and I would just bit 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 bit. We already know how to be our attitude. We feed off each other so well. We could literally do it in one thing, and Vince would be like, "Great, my one take wonders, awesome, love you girls." And it's like on to the next thing because TV days are so busy. Um, but there were some times where we would see stuff that would be written, and it's like we just wouldn't say that. You know what I mean? We wouldn't say those words necessarily. And so we would try to like, just go with it. And then we would be like, eh. and we would just say to Vince, like, Hey, I know, right. And this would be like, while we're backstage about to film our segment, like, Hey, like this thing that you wrote here, like, I just can't see myself saying that and making it believable. Could I maybe change this and say this and Vince would be like, oh yeah, that's fine. Like just get the just get the bullet points across. Make sure you mention the pay-per-view, what day it is, what time it is, who you're wrestling, and then fill in the blanks around it, but just get all this general stuff over. And then that just opens up, right? For like us to just be able to make it our own and make it believable, which is what everybody why everybody thought we were so believable as like the Princess Mean Girls. I love that though, because you know, you always hear today, WB, like, oh, it's a script. They're reading a script. But if you say your character. And you're so I, controlled. I, yeah, it's like, I would never say that, right? I mean, it's like so like many, so many people. Well, and that's like when I do seminars and stuff like that, or when people are having difficulties, like figuring out their character or how to cut promos that don't sound too acted. Um, I'm like, you have to feel, you have to feel what you're doing. Like, Velvet and I, like, I'm a, terrible baby face i'm the worst like clap for me like you know like that that happy like cheerleader stuff is just not me naturally i am more of a silly sarcastic kind of person so being like a sarcastic princessy bitchy kind of character was just so much easier for me performance wise you know and same with velvet but like taylor wilde great natural baby face right yep. odb great natural baby face she's got that three-letter name easy to chant who she was being on tv is exactly who she is in person like so um yeah that that was the easiest for us and like i said when i go to seminars and try to help people with promos and stuff they'll be like well you know i'm a baby face but i really want to be a heel but this indie promoter that i work for like really wants me to be this way and i'm like i get it but you know maybe have a talk with that promoter and be like, listen, like you want me to be your top person. I need to come across as authentic and believable as possible. I don't feel this. Can we try something else? You know, I'm always saying like, who's your favorite? Watch that person. Who's your favorite? Watch that person. Study, learn the little things, the facial expressions. I love teaching people how to really accentuate volume wise or length wise and how they say a word to like really get that point across with that word. And obviously, as you can see, as I'm talking, I'm very animated just naturally. So, <laughs> yeah. They like watching the Roddy Piper documentary, I was just talking to uh, Dusty Rhodes' old assistant back in the day, and he was saying, like, it's funny, like, you think it's natural, but they'd write stuff down to themselves. They, like, get it in their self, like, how exactly they would say it, and then they would just start talking and naturally saying it rather than writing it down like a script because then it, you become a robot. It, it, you got to right, be... Right, because you then, be you're try, then you're trying to remember word for word for word exactly what was written down, and then it can come across like you're reading a prompter or you're like a robot. Um, so for me, it was just like, I would go over stuff. Um, but then once I, 
for some reason, like once I get in front of a camera and get a microphone in my hand, like I just turn into something and my voice is like nails on a chalkboard. I don't know why that happens, but it is. And I'm just like over the top with attitude. Um, but it's very easy for me at this point. It's really weird too, because I used to be scared to death to be a public speaker when I was a kid, like when, you know, when you had to do speeches in grade school, the little yeah. cue cards and you had to pick a topic and talk about it for like three and a half minutes or whatever. I tried to be sick every year on speech day because I dreaded it. The thought of having to stand up in front of my class and do this speech like my throat I would get like anxiety my throat I feel like my throat would close up and I know my face would get beat red I thought my voice sounded different and I'm like I'm shaking and oh I hated it but then once I got into wrestling it's like you are in front of people you are performing in front of people you are screwing up in front of people you're probably having a wardrobe malfunction in front of people so after a while and plus when I was in deep south like just being you know WWE like we were working on promos all the time and timing them and you know what I mean? And, and when you have like the 10 second countdown or that was 15 seconds, the 10 second countdown, you got somebody behind the camera going like this and you got to be done by the time it gets down to zero and you're trying to not rush the finish of your promo, but still it was a lot. It was a lot. So by the time we got into TNA and we were just allowed to be us and we could be obnoxious and we could be loud and we could be bitchy and we could be all the things, just the characters, the personalities, the vibe with Vince, just everything. It just worked. That was kind of like back in the day, like when the teacher would call and you had to read a paragraph. You'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm the eighth person. You count down the eighth and you try to get that paragraph ready. You're all nervous. Like, that was the worst. Oh, the worst. But now I could easily, without batting an eyelash, grab a microphone and stand up in front of talk and talk in front of 10,000 people like it's nothing. It's a natural talent and natural. Yeah. Gail, Gail always hated that. And I'm, but she like she would rather go out there and get power bombed by Kong than do a promo. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Promos are easy. Why are you scared? <laughs> You're just a natural promo, I guess. And she's you know maybe a little uncomfortable. She didn't. Yeah, she just she didn't like her voice, or she didn't. You know, like she didn't like the way she sounded, or you know, it was just like she just rather wrestle, and that's fine. Like talking is not for everybody. At one point, it was not for me, but it became a very big part of me. So. When Gail and Awesome Kong are, are, are kind of doing their thing, are you thinking like, oh, this is great. I got a, two people that I can probably work with it's just as far as like, wow, because they're elevated not only the TNA, but, you know, the women's wrestling in general. Were you thinking kind of selfishly like, OK, these are going to be two great people I'm going to be able to work with? I mean, I had worked with Gail before everybody worked with Gail because we trained together. So, okay. yeah, we trained together in Toronto, me and her and Tracy. So, I mean, I had been wrestling Gail since... 2002 oh wow okay yeah we all trained together before she even got hired by wwe so um oh yeah i had already i had already been there done that with gail before we even got to tna so um i was scared to death to work kong though scared to death um but then she very quickly became one of my favorite people and one of my favorite outside of the ring and one of my favorite to work inside of the ring too we were doing the david and goliath matches me being the little shit heel running around she was the big baby face everyone wanted to see her kill me we were on the road together just having a blast she had a bit of a big van vader vibe to her like when she first came in there especially with those gloves and looked like she's stiff and everybody had that oh, vader yeah. vibe 
her, just everything about her and her look was perfect. Like just the gear she wore that she, she also knew herself and her presence in the ring too. Like nobody had to tell Kong how to act, you know, it was just, and that was just, ugh, it was just one of the so many cool things about the knockouts division. Like nobody had to tell me in Velvet how to act. Nobody had to tell Kong how to act or what her character was. Nobody had to tell Jackie Moore to be the ass kicker. Nobody had to tell ODB to be the, you know, bam, drink beer, grab your boobs. Like, uh, you know, just everybody, it was just, that's why it worked so well at that time. Cause it was so many new people. We all weren't, you know, cookie cutter. You know, that's one of the things like when I was trying out for WWE, when I got hired, I had the braids, right. That was like my Bo Derek, like my different look. Um, Johnny Ace hated them, of course, but uh, everybody liked it because I was blonde, but it made me stick out because they had 900 blondes on the roster already. You know what I mean? So when they told me to take the braids out, I was, it was my second day there and I was already verbally hired, but they just hated my hair. And I was like, no problem. I do my hair myself. Like I'll take it out tonight and come back tomorrow looking completely different. Like if it gets me hired, like this, my hair, like no big deal. Um, but, uh, what, I, what I, but I was like, I'm just going to be blonde diva number 42. <sighs> You know, like, I just, right. you know, you got to look different, have something different. But in TNA, everybody looked different. Everybody. And we loved that. And I think the fans loved that, too. It was so many new people, so many new characters, so much stuff to get invested in. Everybody looked different. Everybody talked different. Everybody wrestled different. Everybody dressed different. Oh, it was. I, I And obviously the ratings showed that's exactly what everybody was wanting to see. Definitely. It felt like it was a different vibe to it. Cause, right. Cause that generic kind of blonde model thing that WWE tries to go for doesn't work when people are looking for something different. Or if, if you want somebody to stand out and get over, got to be different. Yeah. And everybody loved the braids, but Johnny Ace. So, <laughs> what's his problem? Um, you're, asking, you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> I feel like he's always got a problem. Even, uh, my buddy Shane Douglas, who used to be his tag team partner at Dynamic Dudes, he's got a problem with it. Everyone's got a problem with Johnny Ace. Well, maybe Johnny Ace needs to ask himself why. <laughs> <laughs> somehow sticks around WWE for over 20 years, somehow. So he's skating by. Yeah, he is. So when you first win the TNA Women's Knockout Championship, I think it was a three-way. I think it was Lockdown 09 with Kong and Taylor, Taylor Wilde. Does that mean more to you? Because as a fan, you're like, oh, there's a huge moment. But to you, the wrestler, what does it mean? Did you watch the match? I was there live. Do you know what happened? You won. Yeah, I was completely unconscious on my feet. I got a major concussion in that match. Oh, so I, didn't I, actually... I didn't realize that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like a pretty much everybody knows that now, but there's still some people where I guess like we covered it well enough ad-libbing in the heat of the moment, live on pay-per-view with Kong tied to the cage and me unconscious and Taylor Wilde being like, Oh shit. Um, so when, when Velvet and I uh, tied Kong's hair to the cage yep. uh, to incapacitate her, me and Taylor Wilde had this whole sequence that we were going to do to go into the finish. And then I go over, we had a great sequence figured out. But like when I was doing, no, had Kong's hair tied to the cage and I was like, ha ha ha, you know, whatever. And then turn around to catch Taylor Wilde in that cross body. I fed in close and she jumped really high and far. And if you watch, like she completely squished my head. Like I kicked my legs up like Kip to cross, to catch cross bodies. Um, and it was just like, good night. And like, she covers me one, two. And then like, I don't kick out. And she kind of does the thing for me. Cause like she knew I was supposed to kick out. And then if you watch, I just go <laughs> like onto the side of the mat. Like I was out. And then 
she's kind of standing there like, and I'm just like over here like this and Kong's tied to the cage and she's live on pay-per-view and it's like, oh shit. So she just grabs a hold, like, you know, like we should do if something like that happens and you can see me and I'm just like, like, I'm just like, my whole body is just like, there's nothing there, but I'm, but at some points my eyes are open, but I don't remember any of this. Um, at one point I remember coming to actually my parents were in the crowd too, cause we knew I was going to win. So they drove eight oh, wow. hours from Toronto to be there. Um, I remember coming to, and it was like, there was the ring ropes and then there was the cage. And I just remember kind of like opening my eyes and looking out into the crowd and everybody was vibrating. It was just like, I was trying to focus on the fans and everybody was shaking and vibrating. And then I just blacked out again. And then I came to right when, so that, so Rudy, our ref was getting a whole bunch of shit screamed in his ear at that point about like what to do with the finish. Like, I think they were, they knew I was out. They Kong was tied to the cage. They just wanted Taylor Wilde to somehow cover me. But Taylor Wilde had already walked over to Kong and you see her go like this. She just walks over to Kong and she goes, kick me. And Kong does that big kick and Taylor Wilde takes a gigantic bump back like a hurricane just knocked her over. And then I, I came to again and I heard Rudy go cover her. And I didn't know if that meant somebody was coming to cover me because I didn't know where I was, but I saw Taylor Wilde laying there. And if you if you watch, Rudy gives me like the littlest shove, <laughs> littlest <laughs> yep. shove. And yep. I went over and I covered her and it was like one, two, three. And it was so anticlimactic because it was just Kong kicked her and then I covered her and that was my big women's championship win. So the crowd, like a lot of people were happy because it was like, oh shit, like Angelina Love won, the beautiful people. And then some people were like, that was it, huh? Ah, uh, that was a huh? Um, finish. And then if you look at me, I win, and I'm like, <laughs> like if you see me, I'm just like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. Like I'm just like no clue. I'm just kind of like laughing, but you can tell I'm like, what the fuck? And then Rudy gives me the belt, but I couldn't stand. So he gave me the belt, and if you watch, I can't even hold it. I don't even know what I'm doing with it. So now that you know this, you have to go back and watch the yeah. match so you can like remember what I'm saying when you watch it, but like I'm yep. holding the belt and you can see like, I can't even like, oh, I don't even know what I'm doing or looking at. And then Rudy kind of stood me up and he's literally holding me and I like raised my hand and then they kind of went to black right there. And on, at the live events and stuff like that, they show like the next matches, like backstage segment on the Tron, right? So Velvet didn't know either. So Rudy was helping me out of the ring, but I couldn't, like lift my foot up and put it in between the middle and the bottom to like duck to get out. He had to like maneuver me and then Velvet was coming up the stairs and she was like grabbing me and doing whatever because we were still in front of a live crowd. Rudy and uh, Rudy was like, no, 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 no. She's, she's completely out, like hurt, bad, bad. And she was like, oh, no. So then she kind of helped me out of the ring too. And Rudy and Velvet like helped me up the ramp to the back. And then I basically was thrown into the arms of like four security guards who like carried me past the entire roster. Cause we had to walk through the gorilla <laughs> and where everybody was watching the monitor backstage to take me to the trainer to get medical attention. So <laughs> it's great. Now I got to rewatch that. Damn. I, I got work yeah. thinking like, what the hell's going on? She's really good selling uh, <laughs> this injury. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That was about as real as you could get. <laughs> So not a fun experience at all. When in no, like no. And you know what? I was so fucking excited about that. And I just felt so validated. Like, you know, the WWE really missed out on my talent and I was so ready and they were just like, 
you know? So, and we were just doing so good in TNA and I was just so ready for that moment. And it's like, yep, that's my first championship story. Completely unconscious on my feet. <laughs> what did but, you think? Like, what'd you think like afterwards? Like, this is great. Nothing I because title, my but, brain was mush. Well, a, a little bit after that, like, like I'm the champion now, but like you were just like, obviously upset with the performance. You didn't know how long you were going to be out for. Well, we were filming at that point, we were filming every two weeks. So that was actually, so what we were doing on that schedule, which was like the best schedule, we were filming Monday, Tuesday, every two weeks. What we filmed on Monday would air that Thursday. And what we filmed on Tuesday would air the following Thursday. And then the following Monday and Tuesday, we would go back and film, that's right? So that's how we did. It was like four days every, or two days every two weeks, four days a month. And then we would have our Sunday night, our monthly pay-per-view, just like WWE was doing like live on pay-per-view, 8 p.m. Um, so that's what that was. That was the start of a three-day loop because then we were flying to Orlando Monday morning and doing TV Monday, Tuesday. So I, well, like when I got to the back after seeing the trainer and getting back into the locker room, I needed to text my parents and tell them like I was hurt, right? But I, at that time, it was like 2009, I had like a flip phone. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. you got to press, you got to press one, three times to get the C and all that kind of stuff. And like, that was not happening with me, the brain to the thumbs and the numbers of how much. So I had to give my phone to Velvet and I was like, can you just like either text or call my mom and just let her know that I'm hurt. I got a concussion, but I'm okay. But just let them know because they were going to spend the night. I was going to take them out, all that kind of stuff. So it was like. I didn't know if I was going to be able to fly. Like they told me like it was safe, but I was like, are you sure it's okay to fly? Like eight hours after getting a major concussion. I didn't sleep at all that night. I had to get woken up every half hour. You know what I mean? So like, it was just like, so then once we got to the airport the next day, I got some food. Everybody was like, Oh my God, are you okay? Oh my God. Is that okay for you to fly? And I'm like, I mean, that's what I was told. I don't know. We'll see. But they wanted us to throw this big, ridiculous, beautiful people esque you know, a championship victory party with Madison and velvet. And then just, and they wanted like the blow horns and noisemakers. And I was like, Vince, like this, (laughs) the sound of my own voice is giving me the biggest headache right now. Like I can't, I can't scream. I can't talk loud. I can't have people blowing horns in my ears. My brain's going to explode. But we still ended up doing it. Like it was just, I think Madison and Velvet, because I couldn't blow into anything. Like my head, oh, my head was just a mess. But um, I just kind of turned it on for TV. You know, you get that little bit of adrenaline. You become your character. We did that whole thing where I had the button, like that we had that stripper thing, you know, and then Kong came down and ruined it. So we got through it, um, but nothing was quite as ideal as we wanted it to be. <laughs> Kind of ruining your title reign here, you know. Your I mean, first it, didn't, no, it didn't. It didn't ruin it. I mean, it's a great story, right? But it was. Right. It just. It just wasn't as smooth as we had wanted it to be. But my title reign was fine because I had two weeks to be in between that, and then so I had some healing time the two weeks after, and then when we went back to TV was when we did the really awesome um, uh, Kong Angelina Love contract signing with Jim Cornette. For the for her rematch for the next pay per view, um, I can't remember if it was Victory Road or what it was, but uh, um, I remember. So I don't know if you remember that segment where we did the contract thing and you know Jim Cornette and it was really great. But Vince had wanted Kong to power bomb me through that table, and that was the only time I ever told Vince no. And I don't think Vince was really like thinking about the severity of my injury, but I told him I was like. 
I just got like a major concussion. Like my, my jaw still hurts. I can barely chew. Um, I still get headaches. Uh, I can't get power bombed through a table two weeks after getting a major concussion. Definitely you know what I mean? Not. And that was also going to be what we filmed on the Tuesday. So that would have aired on Thursday. And then our pay-per-view match would have been live that Sunday. So, like, and I said to Vince, I was like, so also like, what am I superwoman? Like I get power bombed through a table by Kong on Thursday, but then I'm good to go and wrestle a championship match on Sunday, two nights later. Like, and he understood that. And I said, listen, Vince, I don't ever tell you no, but for my own health and safety, I, I have to tell you no, like I'll do the whole segment, but I cannot have Kong power bomb me through that table. What if I hit my head again? I'm fucked. Like, and I want, I'm only, I was 26 at the time. I'm like, kind of want to have a long career. You know, I can't take that risk and I hope you understand. And he was super understanding. It was not an issue. It just ended up getting switched to Rudy, who was the referee for that match where I won getting power bomb through the table and it all worked out and everybody was fine. Everybody was safe. And so, yeah, it worked. And it made Kong look like even more of a monster. She's going to power bomb the ref through the through right. The and I kind of weaseled my way out of it, you know, and get a little bit of heat with that too. So it worked, but I, I that was the one time I said no to Vince, and that was just for my own health and safety. As you're going along as champion, almost have like a little bit of a Ric Flair, like you lose for a little bit, so you get the title back, right? I mean, like that kind of thing. Did they want you to be like the quote unquote like Ric Flair of the division, where you're like the staple, but other like Tara or ODB, they're going to get their little runs in there as well? I don't. I mean, I don't know. Maybe none of my. Uh, I don't know. I know I had wanted my first run to last longer, um, but then Tara came in, and their thought was baby face she's got to take it from you you know so that was fine i wanted to i wanted to work her when i was in you know when i was in ww i wanted to have that opportunity i really wanted to wrestle trish and i really wanted to wrestle victoria didn't happen there but then i was her first um feud when she came to tna so it was just like for me everything just worked better in tna um and i, I like i was so devastated when i got released by wwe like devastated um but hindsight, you know, years and years and years later, it was like, oh, I would have never, I, I became a household name in TNA. Who knows if that ever would have happened in WWE? I could just been a jobber and then been fired, you know, like, um, and, and, and I do believe everything happens with whomever it's supposed to happen with at the exact right time. And what Velvet and I did, it had to be the two of us. And it had to be us together at in TNA at that specific time in 2007, 2008, you know what I mean? Like we were the only two who could do what happened. And that, that was what was meant to be. And we're so happy because we created history on our own without the big WWE machine behind us, you know? And a lot of people were like, oh, we would have loved to have seen the beautiful people in WWE. And it's like, we both wanted to be in WWE at, a t at one time, but Who's to say, had we have gone there, they wouldn't have just taken complete control of us. Then what, what are we going to do? Tell them, no, they can't. You don't usually <laughs> at the time, especially like you don't tell yeah. WWE that. So, and plus they kind of made their own versions of us. So. Yes, they did. Uh, Lake cool or whatever it was. Was it Lake cool? What was the ripoff version? I, I don't remember, but um, it's interesting because at that time too, they weren't really giving the women any sort of push. Like you said, you would have been a manager in a tag team and like, yeah, you know, who knows? It wouldn't have gotten over or 
possibly wouldn't have gotten over. But just that time period, WWE with the women, they weren't pushing them at all. Yeah. And, and, and I feel that they realized like, shit, you know, TNA's ratings were like really starting to knock on their back door, you know, and a lot of how well our, uh, how good of the ratings that we were getting was from the women and WWE was not doing much with their women at all. So they needed to start making their women a big deal too, to see if that could maybe help boost their ratings too. Just always seems like something they do natural, like, Hey, the NWO, this attitude kind of thing is really working. And then all of a sudden they start doing attitude. You know what I mean? They always kind of have to do that, but they must. So when we, when we were, when we were in developmental, there was a few times where like the writers would come down and then, you know, all of us, it was like being in freaking school again, we'd go out and buy binders. You know, we would have like a cover page. Like we would have like this professional presentation about like what we wanted our character to be and what storylines we came up with and who, who was already on TV that we could see ourselves being written into working with and blah, 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 blah. And we were always told, come up with 80% of the idea, give it to creative, let creative put their 20% on it. And then it just becomes their idea. <laughs> and we were all like, what? Aren't they hired writers? Why do we have to come up with 80% of our own shit to get on TV? Isn't their job to write us onto TV? Why do we have to come up with most of it? <laughs> kind of backwards yeah but i mean they kind of did that with a lot right like took an idea and gave it to their people and took this group and gave it to their people and to the you know so they knew stuff that worked but it was just like oh missed the ball on that one missed the ball on that one okay who do we have that we can do this with you and you do study this you do it <laughs> yep. you be our version of that in a weird way were you kind of were you guys like almost thinking like, okay, imitation is a form of flattery. Were you almost thinking that you're like, ah, they're ripping us off. I barely remember. Uh, I feel like at first we were like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it was like, this is our thing. Like, fuck you, WWE. You wouldn't take us, you know, don't try to steal our thunder. Cause we're making it for ourselves somewhere else. Um, but yes, it was definitely like a, because everybody knew, like everybody knew where that idea came from. So we were just like, well, yeah. When it works, it works. <laughs> now we're talking like positive stuff here, but also want to mention Dixie. Cause I know sometimes in the Patreon, you guys go a little bit off and you guys weren't big fans of Dixie. I think, which are you a patron fun. of ours? <laughs> I am not, but I am a part of the Russo brand. So mm -hmm. I, I am privy to some stuff, some, some information. I'm pretty sure we've talked about Dixie on the podcast too, not just the Patreon. Oh, right. so. Yeah. Not a fan. No. Is that any specific reason? Or is she not good for the position? Is she not well? I don't think you can find one person who thought Dixie was good in her position. <laughs> um, at, at first, I was actually kind of intimidated because I was like, oh, wow, a female boss. Like Stephanie McMahon, I was always so intimidated by her, right? And then it's like, oh, the president of like TNA is a female. And it's, a, you know, we just all wanted to be in good with her, right? But And she was really sweet at first, but then it was like, once other people came in and once she started for some reason thinking who the fuck she was and she needed to be all over the show and she she at first when we first got there we loved the environment and working for her because it was like she was always like how's your family she was always asking how people's boyfriends were and how stuff was at home and always asking the guys how they're how they're, how are your kids and stuff like that like at first it seemed like oh wow like she really cares like 
about not business stuff too, like that home family stuff. Like that's really nice to want to know. And we're not like just employees, but then it was like, Oh my God. Then she had to be on every segment. Then we were getting kicked out of the makeup chair because it was, Oh, Dixie had to get her makeup done, you know, 800 times. But it's like, we have matches and we have backstage segments and we really need to be done too. And we start doing it ourselves. Cause it was like, Oh, Dixie is doing. And she was just like, such bad bit drunk backstage, like a pay-per-views. And it was just like, we just really quickly realized that it was like mommy and daddy just wanted to give their daughter something to do <laughs> and some money to go do it with. Mm -hmm. And then she just, she really just thought the show was based around her. And she had a lot of people whispering bad decisions in her ear. And then all of a sudden it was just, she just started treating everybody like shit. Like, we were just like her, her pibians, you know what I mean? We were just like so beneath her and below her. And it was just like, she wanted her own reality show and like all this kind of, it just became way too much. She, and she screwed up our Spike TV deal too. Spike TV was going to re-sign TNA to like another couple year contract. And she asked for absurd money. And, and they were just like, no, here's your offer. Take it or leave it. And she was like, oh, oh my God. Oh, oh. And then just kind of came back and they were like, no, take it or leave it. And then she was like, oh, and she just, oh, it was just, it was a fucking disaster. And then Spike TV was like, fuck it. We're done. Never mind. And then she was like, oh, no, 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 wait. Oh, no, wait. No, that's totally fine. And then they were like, nope, over you. And then it was, and then we were, and then when we all found out that we were not going to be on Spike TV anymore, oh my God. Like the whole roster, we were just like, oh, are we all going to get fired? Are we done? Oh my God. How am I going to pay my, how are you going to feed your children? Oh, it was like the, we went from like the ultimate high to the ultimate low. And it's all because of Dixie. That was a huge loss. I mean, that Spike TV deal was great. And a lot of people blamed Russo for it, which was crazy because he was a consultant and supposedly he sent an email to somebody. And But the truth came out from that that reporter that it was really Dixie. Like you said, like it was her fault why the, the deal was screwed up. But that oh, was and, I'm sure, and I'm, I'm sure the reporter was backstage and knew exactly what was going on, too. <laughs> well, I guess Russo by accident emailed him, which is a whole other story for a whole other day. But... Um, <laughs> As far as Dixie screwing that up, obviously where you're at now, it's way away from uh, Impact and all that that nonsense in Ring of Honor in ROH. How's it going there? How I mean, obviously you got the feud with Quinn McKay, you got the allure with Mandy Leon. What are you thinking about ROH right now? Back about well, it. Really, it was it's really fun. Um, and like I said, it, I just love the whole like complete circle back <laughs> you know what i mean like 2004 and now all of a sudden in 2019 i'm back there what's really cool about ring of honor is it's it's like it's like the ecw of back in the day but right now you know what i mean where it was like you got wwf you got wcw and then it was like this little ecw thing with like this different roster that maybe not everybody knows because it's not wwe you know what i mean yep yep so i i when being in the business for as long as i have it'll be 21 years in august um you pretty much like have met everybody at some point or done signings or worked with somebody at some point or done a tour or whatever. There was so many people in ROH that I didn't know and I hadn't met. And I was really excited to be with like a whole new bunch of people that I had never met before. And, and I just knew like, you know, Ring of Honor has such an aura of just like, 
a hundred percent effort all the time. Different, like you know, they got their pure, they've got their violence, they've got their females, they've got their tags. Just I don't know. It's just Ring of Honor is such a different vibe, which is what you need in wrestling when so much of everything can be so the same and then everyone just gets bored with it. You have to have like that one thing that's different, you know? And I feel like that's Ring of Honor. Um, so I loved that. And the, and you know, like Jay Lethal was there, like we we did know of you know, some people that were there. So it, it was just really nice. And plus we got to debut at Madison Square Garden. So like we had our, our bucket list garden moment, you know, which we're so thankful for. Um, and yeah, it has been a really nice work environment. Um, there, I, I get like that. I had just posted this on my Twitter, like maybe a month or six weeks ago after we had done one of our tapings. And I said that I had got being in Ring of Honor and like being backstage and at our tapings and stuff really gives me like that, TNA circa 2008 vibes where it was like, everybody's supporting each other. Everybody's having a good time. Everybody's watching each other on the monitor. Um, even with like our COVID restrictions where only so many people are allowed to be at the building. We're shuttling people in, do your segment, leave. And more people are shuttling in and leaving and all the things. Um, but it's like, everybody really does sit around in the back and watch each other's matches. And, and what I love too, is that when we were in TNA, like, you know, Kurt Angle would give us feedback and we would just be standing there. Sting. I remember the one time we came back from like a tag match and Sting pulled us aside because he watched our match and he wanted to like give us constructive criticism and kudos and stuff. And we were all just like, you're Sting. We love you. You know what I mean? But like you watched our match, like what? You're, but you're Sting. You watched us and you like care to like, give us tips on how to improve certain things like that. There's no, no words for like how meaningful stuff like that is. And like, and the guys were always so supportive of the girls too. Like to, to our knowledge, none of the guys were like jealous or mad that we were getting higher rated segments than them. It was great for every, the company as a whole. Right. And I get the same vibe in ring of honor because it's like the guys are always so willing and available to help the girls if we're stuck with something or if we have any questions and they always watch our matches. And when we get to the back high fives and, and tell us what they liked about the match, if there was anything that we needed to improve upon, maybe what, you know, what, what would you guys have done different, you know, whatever. They're just so open and helpful. And it's just, I love like that vibe and the environment. It's very, I don't know. It's, it's not like, there's no walking on eggshells being there. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's, it's really good vibes. And I just, I've been in this business too long to deal with any bullshit. So I'm all about good vibes, <laughs> working in good vibes. Keep it positive. Yeah. The allure, obviously very much like the beautiful people, but Mandy's kind of taken the place of velvet. She fitting in, uh, you know, well, or no, no, we don't, Ooh. we don't look at no, we don't look at it that way. I understand, like, because me and Velvet are the beautiful people, that if we start a group in another company, a lot of people are going to look at it be like, oh, there's the beautiful people, 3.0 or whatever, you know what I mean? The beautiful people was very Paris Hilton, Nicole Richie, Simple Life, Mean Girls movie, princess bitchy stuff. The, the allure is like women. It's, it's more tough. It's more ass-kicking, attitude, sexy women. The beautiful people was like princessy, bitchy, you know, that kind of, do you see the difference? Yep. So, so, so we didn't come into 
ring of honor wanting the allure to be like a, a BP 3.0. So I understand like surface wise, you could look at it and be like, Oh, group. Oh, group. Beautiful people. Just like the beautiful people. But we've been trying to not have it uh, be presented that way. But I mean, I feel like anybody could look at a group of girls and be like, Oh, it's like that. Oh, there's a group of girls, like beautiful people. Oh, there's three girls together and they're all mean girls. The beautiful people. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> it's easy to label it. So yes, yes. Definitely. But we love Mandy. Mandy was like, Oh, she's so similar to me in Velvet. Like we all just clicked right away. Like all down to down to personal things. Like me and Mandy talk every day. Like we're actually friends outside of work. Like it's very easy to be friendly with people at work, but once you go home, if you maintain a relationship with people like daily, that's a, a way different story. You know what right. I mean? That's something that's more meaningful. I love Mandy. Like we just absolutely love Mandy. She fit in so well. She's so gorgeous. She's so exotic looking. And she's just like, you know, her and I both like to burn sage and we like crystals and we talk about astrology and conspiracy theories and stuff like that. So like we're friends, period, like outside of work, you know, so that makes work even easier. Now, uh, speaking of Russo, he just called me. He must have heard us talking about you. So. <laughs> His ears were talking about him. Yeah. <laughs> His ears ring. But uh, it is great. You and Mandy in ROH work together. Quinn McKay, uh, she's got a little bit of an attitude problem, but that's okay. You know, it's no problem. Yeah, but she'll blame it on everybody else because it's never her. Oh, yeah? That, that's a fact? Well, yeah, that's that, that was my whole age of entitlement, right? Which was right. basically like what my whole spiel was before they showed the match and why I had no problem having a match with her because it's like, uh, like the amount of time that I've spent in the business, the amount of people that I've seen that just have accomplished nothing and, and have been in the business for two minutes who are like, where's my stuff? Where's my championship match? Why aren't I the star of the show? And it's like, what have you done to earn that? Right. Like where, where does this attitude come from that you just like walk into the wrestling world and you think you're out everything like what like nobody's teaching like etiquette and respect anymore and like i guess i'm old school <laughs> i mean like i guess i guess etiquette and respect is like old school mentality now i don't know yep. but um yeah to be like like i said like you know, when you're a new person coming into the company and you've got a lot of, you know, championships and places that you've worked and you, you know, you've got some steam behind your name. There's going to, in a locker room full of women, there's going to be like one, at least one person who's going to be like, mm, you know, kind of catty about it. But like I said in my promo before the match, I didn't think that the one person that would have the biggest problem would be the freaking backstage interviewer. Like what? You are not even a wrestler. Like, what are you even talking it? What are you even doing? So to me, who's just like, take no shit. I'm just like, <laughs> like, like what? So yeah. And I, and I don't, I mean like that attitude, maybe she's gotten away with it and many other people like her, maybe they've gotten away with it elsewhere, but like you bring that to me and you've crossed a line. You don't get away with it with me. No, no. Cause people leading the future of the business, like that's going to drive it right into the ground. So Hey, I'm with you. I I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly right there. But as we head for the finish, head towards the wind down, just give everybody kind of the rundown of what they're going to get when they listen to beautiful podcasts and obviously the Patreon. Oh, yeah. So, like, we just kind of shoot the shit. You know, we'll have a little drinky poo, a little Jose. 
I like, you know, my little Jose tequila and Velvet will have her, uh, her, what does she have Patron the other day? But, um, you know, we just, it's just, we talk about everything. Like we talk about relationship stuff. We talk about the jab. We'll talk about like the pandemic and we'll talk about wrestling road stories. We talked about just what we said, like stuff with Quinn, the age of entitlement, like how has this become such a thing in wrestling these days? Like we'll drop some names. Like we just, and plus we're ridiculous, right? So we're just like, her and I have this thing where like, we'll just show up one day and we'll both be wearing the same shirt and we'll be like, really? We'll be planned. It'll just happen. You know what I mean? Or we'll say the same thing at the same time, or we'll have the same idea. We'll blur it out at the same time. And then we're like, ah, get out of my head. Shut up. So it's just like, we have to, we're just kind of like a, we're funny to watch, you know, and we, we have really good insight on a lot of things with our beliefs and our feelings on things. And, you know, when she was trying to get into WWE, that was a good story. When I was trying to get, when I was in WWE and like everything that happened with my release, you know, that's a good story. So there's lots of stuff we, we do. And we take fan questions too. Like, what do you want to hear us talk about on the podcast? Like tw uh, tweet us or like DM us on Instagram or whatever. Like we're down to take like fan questions and, and answer some questions with our own opinions and perspectives too. So we pretty much like, Put everything out on the table there's not really anything that we don't talk about yet anyways <laughs> you know, it's so funny you mentioned before and i'm just thinking you said you were 26 at the time so i was like wait a second how is that like i always thought you were oh that's crazy i'm just now thinking i was like oh just you seem like younger you know what i mean so like which is a well, good thing I guess. yeah i guess which is a good thing but i was just first realized i was like wait 26 that i would th would have thought younger but yeah that that's man that's great I, yeah and, I, turned, uh, I turned i turned 40 in september Wow. And Velvet is the same age? Today. Okay. Today's her fortieth today's her fortieth birthday. Wow. Oh my god. Okay. June second. So she's three months older than me. Wow, because I'm almost yeah. 39, so I'm thinking you guys are like younger than me. I'm, I'm thinking like, oh, well, thank you. That's how we want to look. That's why we Perfect. do yes. maintenance. That's, but yeah, no, I, so I got, people. Yeah. I started I started my first show I ever did was August eighteenth, two thousand. And it was a month before I turned nineteen. So um we both I got hired by WWE when I was 23 and I got released when I was 25 and then I started with TNA literally like the second I turned 26 because I think we debuted in September 2007 and my birthday is September 13th so like I just turned 26 when we started and Velvet was 26 because she her birthday's in June so yeah Keeping up with the beautiful, keeping up with the gimmick of the beautiful people for sure. That's great. <laughs> I'm also great. I'm also a medical esthetician, so I do a lot of like skincare stuff and my own DIY stuff at home, and I work at a spa and stuff like that. So oh, nice. I've always oh. been into the I've always been into the beauty thing, like ever since I was a kid. But I never wanted to be anything but a wrestler. But once I got pregnant, I was like, maybe I should start looking at that. What else can I do outside of wrestling thing? Because right now I can't wrestle. So I went to esthetician school, which is like a trade school. Um, and did my 750 hours and got licensed to be a esthetician. So, oh, nice. which is like, Perfect. which is like working in skincare pretty much right. doing las lasers and all kinds of uh, body and face stuff. So you got to be prepared for the outside of the wrestling stuff. That's good. Yeah. Now please give us all the plugs, uh, your Twitter and everything else you got. Yes. So I have a Facebook, but it's private. So sorry. Um, my Twitter is at actual a love. Um, my Instagram is a love the number four life two, two, two. Uh, I just got on cameo as well. Um, nice. velvet was reminding me every week, every week, every week to get on it. 
Oh, and my son just deleted the app. Oh, I was just going to tell you what my thing is. I think it's I, I think it's cameo.com slash a love for life without the two, two, two. So it's like my Instagram handle without the two, two, two. I think it's a love the number four life. Um, and then, yeah, we have the beautiful podcast, which drops every Sunday on um, Russo'sBrand.com, the Realm Network. And then our Patreon um, is patreon.com slash the beautiful people. So easy peasy. Nice. Great stuff, Angelina. Really appreciate it all the time. Thank you so much for coming on. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother.